Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Love is in the air, prom party. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. <laughs> Isn't that like a little girl or something? I think what is so. That? We reference it all the time, and I don't remember where it came from. Well, and from. we also reference the like, here comes the boy. Well, you do that a little bit more than I do because I'm not on TikTok. Hello, yes. boys. Whenever like, you know, here come dat boy kind here of Here come thing. dat boy. Just so many boys. There's so many Look boys. Look at all these boys that I've loved. Look at all these boys we've loved before. Yeah. <laughs> and honor of it being valentine's day yesterday we are finally going to talk about a movie a lot of you have been dying for us to talk about probably the best example of a teen romance movie in the 2010s 2020 world we are talking about to all the boys i've loved before and not to break kayfabe or anything but like yeah this is gonna come out like the day after Valentine's Day, the day we're recording it is Super Bowl Sunday, so we're just going to see how loud <laughs> things are going to be while we record this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for those that do not know, To All the Boys I Loved Before is based on the book series by Jenny Han. Um, it was directed by Susan Johnson, written by Sofia Alvarez. It went straight to Netflix, but was a humongous hit that spawned two sequel films and the spinoff series Exo Kitty. So this is this is a big deal. This is a it big got a, one. a Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure of its own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what I find really fascinating about this is, you know, you think about the the ultimate in teen films, and there really aren't a lot of teen film franchises. And because this is both movies and a series and a book series, this is a franchise. Mm -hmm. And yet the general public doesn't probably recognize this as such because it went straight to Netflix because this came out during a time period where the algorithm was like, we're going to disregard everybody else and focus solely on the people that we know are going to love this. So there are a lot of people who know about like Twilight or what have you that do not know that this even exists. Well, Twilight was like a worldwide phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And unless you're like, Stranger Things, Netflix is not pushing worldwide phenomenons. Exactly. Maybe like, you know, 2015, they could pull that off and it could build into one. But at this point, I don't know about that. Yeah. So this came out in 2018 um, and the book first came out in 2014. Um, as is the case with any movie that we do that's based on a book, please remember, this is a movie podcast. This is not a book podcast. I don't there. know how to read. <laughs> There are plenty of incredible 
book podcasts, even YA and teen book podcasts. If you're looking for a book talk, please go to one of those shows. Uh, we are flying by the seat of our pants here and assessing what we were given by the streaming Gaza Netflix. Yes. So, Harmony, what was your knowledge of this movie if you had it? I know it's been getting shuffled around the schedule for the last, like, year and a half. <laughs> uh, that's about it. Okay. So, like, you didn't know what it was about? You didn't know any of the I don't know. I mean, I knew thing? it was about boys that she loved. Okay. That's about all I got. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. <laughs> what about you? So... This is one that I caught when it first came out, and it was specifically because people were talking about it nonstop. Like, this really exploded in popularity. It was getting really good reviews from critics, which... It's got remarkably high reviews for a yeah. romance movie. It's like a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah, it's like which a, is... way lower on Letterboxd. Well, but of course. Whatever. But that was kind of unheard of for a teen romance movie. So I checked it out one day just like casually and was so charmed by it. And I love these characters and I really like where the series went like moved forward i do still think this is the best of the three personally okay. Okay. but i do really really like uh, this world that they've built and i think that lara jean covey is a fantastic protagonist so i can't wait to talk about her but yeah i really really liked this a lot um i was just very very delighted by how sweet it is but also how this movie is unafraid to kind of make some pretty bold swings um, in a very matter-of-fact way, which we'll definitely get into. Mm-hmm. But for those that do not know, here is your synopsis from IMDb. A teenage girl's secret love letters are exposed and wreak havoc on her life. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you want to break this down into one sentence? Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, I think that that sort of undersells the... The, the romance plot that actually exists in this movie, but I do, I, I don't know. I think that's a pretty fair assessment of this movie. Mm-hmm. So this comes out in 2018. So what context are you bringing to the table? So the book that this is based on was released in 2014. Um, from what I understand, there are some differences between the book and the movie. I could not tell you what, <laughs> but I understand that there are differences as comes with every film adaptation of literature. But the book itself was very popular. I believe it spent almost a full year on the New York Times like young adult bestsellers list. Yeah, I think it was like 40 it was like, weeks or something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it was a very long stretch. So the book was, you know, in its world, a phenomenon. Not It didn't permeate the mainstream like the way that like the Twilight books did or the Fifty Shades of Grey books did. But it still was a very big deal. Mm-hmm. By the time this comes out as a movie... All three books in this series are in the rear view. Mm-hmm. But what I love looking at teen films that we have done from, like, say, the last five-ish years is that the vast majority of them are propelled by streaming services. Yeah, because pretty much. Because teen movies like this don't get theatrical releases. They get, they get scooped up for kids that are at home and don't have money to go to the theater and shit. Yeah, and that's very much what I was trying to get towards, but you're saying it in a much better way than I did. Appreciate it. Of how, you know, everybody in the world knew what Twilight was, but people nowadays, like, don't fully understand that, like, there is an entire, like, teen series. We saw this actually recently with, like, Jacob Elordi becoming, like, a big deal and people being like, he's in, like, the kissing booth. That What the hell even is that? That's a whole series. Mm-hmm. And it's because 
teen movies are not getting these theatrical releases, which do require like huge marketing budgets and trying to get as many eyes on it as possible. When it's through streaming, they're like, no, we're just going to feed it to the algorithm and it'll give us. I mean, the, kid, the you know, kids give us can watch it. it. Yeah. If you're 13, 14, 15 years old anymore, you don't need mom and dad to drive you to the movie theater. So at the time, they at least knew what the name of the movie you were going to see probably was. Exactly. Now it's just like, I don't know. They're just watching something. Mm -hmm. They're staying at home on a Friday night and watching romance movies. Mm hmm. But, um, yeah, just, like, looking at the list of movies we've done, like, Netflix really is putting in a lot of work for teen girl they films. They really are. So, in no particular order, you got, like, The Babysitter, Moxie, The Prom, The Mitchells versus The Machines, all three Fear Street movies, and apparently we're getting more Fear Street movies, um, Keys is all that, uh, Do Revenge, and You Are So Not Invited to My Bot Mitzvah. Mm -hmm. that's just ones that we've done. Mm -hmm. Like as far as other stuff that either came out during like lockdown era of the pandemic or were bought up by other streaming services, you're looking at like, yes, God, yes. Turning red, which went straight to streaming. But at the time of recording this, it's actually it's back, back in theaters. theaters or I guess not even back in theaters, just in, in theaters. theaters. For the first time. <laughs> um, freaky West side story, unpregnant, like things that did do theaters or at the very least, should have done theaters, mm -hmm. but there weren't theaters at the time. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much anything we've done since like 2020 onward, it matters in streaming. Mm -hmm. Like even something like Bottoms, which was a, a fairly high profile release, didn't do that well in theaters. And most people saw it once it came to streaming. Mm -hmm. So that's just where your your teen girl stuff is, is mm -hmm. living yeah. and thriving. Yeah. And, you know, as much as the algorithm is the devil and my least favorite thing possible. Um, it is a benefit for something like this where they can tell based on the user data that they have, okay, well, this person who is a subscriber to Netflix is a teenager or watches a lot of YA stuff. So I'm putting this on the homepage because mm -hmm. people really really connected with this movie and it be again, it became a phenomenon and it became a franchise that you know Movies like this don't get to be franchises. Teen girl stories do not get to be franchises unless they're also like dystopian mm -hmm. and something that can appeal to boys. And sure. that's not to say that, you know, men and boys cannot like these movies. I know plenty who do. Well, romances are a little bit of a hard sell. Exactly. Like this very much on its face screams, quote unquote, chick flick. But I mean that as a compliment. Well, I mean, I think people could understand that based on the kind of podcast we do. Yeah, I would fucking hope so. <laughs> but every once in a while, somebody would be like, you said this thing and I think it actually actually meant this and I'm like I promise you it didn't but thank you um <laughs> but you know movies like this don't get to be franchises so the fact that not only does it get to be a franchise but also that the protagonist is non-white uh is very fucking like amazing to see because it mm -hmm. just doesn't happen mm -hmm. and you know speaking of our protagonist um so this movie stars Lana Condor um and she is just a delight um she'll end up on the on the show again when we eventually do moonshot um and probably ruby gilman teenage kraken we'll do that at some point too i don't know what moonshot is um okay so moonshot <laughs> another thing that has just totally missed me um it is a sci-fi rom-com uh, it went to HBO Max, and it has her and Cole Sprouse and oh, <laughs> Mason Gooding. Um, yeah, it's fall in love on, on space. It's fine. Um, but the th reason that I bring her, her up is because Lana Condor has, for the most part, been a streaming darling. Like, she did uh, play Jubilee in X-Men Apocalypse when she was really young. Oh, the, the, the not very well-received X-Men movie of that era. Correct. Okay, gotcha. 
Um, she's also in Alita Battle Angel. Um, but, you know, her playing like leading roles in film tend to be streamers. She doesn't get theatrical very often. Um, a thing that people don't know is that she's one of the main human characters in Coyote versus Acme. Oh. Uh, the movie that David Zaslav is it's- trying to get rid of for a tax write-off and everybody is in an uproar about it. And it makes me so mad that this is happening for a variety of reasons. One, because from everything that I've heard, this movie is really good mm-hmm. and it should be out there. And it's very clear that Zaslav doesn't want another like studio to put it out because then it's going to make millions upon millions of dollars and he's going to look really fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly why he's doing this. God, I cannot stand him. We are in the biggest one-sided feud. Um, and obviously all of the work people put into it, it's a shame that it's not happening. Also, it sets a really gross precedence of what kind of power studios can I mean, have. It just feels like tax fraud. It really does. It feels like tax fraud. Like, it's really fucked up. Um, But one of the big things that makes me really upset is, like, this would have been such an amazing launching pad for Lana Condor to, like, really be in the public eye in a really big way on a new level than what she's been given in in the past. And knowing that that's not happening now, like, makes me furious because I think she's so talented and deserves the world and to be this like huge Hollywood superstar household name and the fact she's not just makes it just makes me mad Uh, I just if if, if, if that movie might be end up getting overhyped if it ever gets released because this has just been like a months and months long battle to Mm -hmm. just get it out there in the first place but like I might get emotional I fucking love the Looney Tunes right same Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner that is just comedy boiled down to its most pure components you don't need dialogue you don't need shit and we it's have so perfect. And we're supposed to get John Cena as like a big bad like lawyer for the Acme company. Yeah, and I want to watch Ford- John Cena in a buff lawyer suit. He's finally figured out how to wear suits. I know. I think it's because he's trimmed out. He's not as beefy as he used to be. Because like for real, if like for people who don't know this, if you want to look up like John Cena in the two thousands wearing suits, like <laughs> he looks like David Byrne, but like he's actually not just wearing a big suit. He's just a blocky man. <laughs> like I would love that. Yeah, I. If that movie doesn't come out, I'm gonna be very upset. I hope it does. I, I mean, our our world is a hellish place, and we it don't really is. we don't get nice things. So I'm not holding my breath. But God damn it, I sure hope it does. I hope so too, and I I hope that the world finally gets to see like how talented she is because she's she's really really great, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to talk about her. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy February prom party. Over on the Patreon this month, we have tons for you to look forward to. For the Sadie Hawkins dance, we are covering The Way Way Back, which has been something that's been recommended uh, quite a few times from people I know and listeners alike as a very good coming-of-age story, and I'm looking forward to that. As as well as something that's slightly outside of the age demographic, but I say that these guys have a lot of arrested development, so it's totally fair. We're doing train spotting as well. Higher up in the tiers, we are on our second month of Daria. Um, Unsurprisingly, I really enjoyed the first four episodes that we did last month. And I'm just really delighted by our time and having the reason to go through this. So hopefully you'll join us on that adventure. The documentary that we have decided to cover this month on this little excursion is called Kid 90. It is a documentary by... Soleil Moon Fry, who you may best know as Punky Brewster, and apparently she just carried a video camera with her everywhere in the 90s and recorded 
all of her friends and a lot of her life. And it's all about the struggles of being famous at a very young age and uses a lot of what I guess could be described as archival footage of child stars of the time. And I'm super excited to see what that looks like. In addition to all of our bonus episodes, you can find our monthly playlist, see what each week's episode is going to be ahead of time before everyone else can, get access to the suggestion box, as well as hundreds of past bonus episodes that we've done and and, and playlists and all sorts of other goodies. As is always the case, especially in these uh, trying times, if you're not able to support the podcast, we love you. We just appreciate that you listen and go on this adventure of healing our inner childs with us. If you haven't already, feel free to leave us a review, a nice five-star one if you're feeling so inclined. Recommend us to any of your friends and leave us some comments. There's been a whole lot of people who have done that for our Spotify as of recently. And uh, yeah, it's been really exciting and enlightening just to hear directly from people like that without the need for social media. (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, back to the movie. Alrighty, so this movie and the entire franchise is centered around Laura Jean Covey, played by Lana Condor. How do you feel about this character? I don't want to call her a stick in the mud. I would say she is not an adventurous person. Mm-hmm. She plays everything very, very safe. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not pursue the things she wants very much. She mm-hmm. prefers to just like have fantasies. Yes. And I think that works for kind of understanding what this movie's doing, Mm -hmm. where it's like, why is she interested in, like, two really specific versions of the same guy? (laughs) Oh, she likes Jake Ryan, or, like, these are the kind of guys that are on romance books now. Fabio, that hasn't been a thing for a long time. That's the joke we always make in the way that, like, you do an approximation of a pro wrestler, Mm -hmm. and your version is, like, a caricature of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Right, right. That is such an outdated concept of what, like, the romance novel lead is. Mm-hmm. There's someone who looks like, I don't know, Jacob from Twilight. Right. You're just, like, this kind of pale guy with brown hair. It's it's the fucking Ryan Murphy thing. Whenever it's like, look at all of Ryan Murphy's guys. He puts in a thing, and they're all the same guy. Mm-hmm. It's teen, <laughs> teen versions of that same guy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, not to, like, call you out a little bit, but I'm going to call you out a little bit. Um. Harmony struggled to tell Josh and Peter apart for for like the first third of the movie, but I got to figure out because I'm like, okay, Josh is the skinny one. Got it. He's the less hunky version of Peter. Got it. Yeah, it was really funny because like they would just like show up at her doorstep and Harmony would be like, which one is that one? I just, which like I guys, get it. Guys, for, for, the, for full disclosure, and I'm not going to give away all the details, we watched this back to back. With the movie that we're doing next week. And I don't want to spoil anything. But I need you to know what an intense fucking whiplash that was. (laughs) And I was still reeling. It was like watching this movie cross-eyed. And I needed to like, we were like 10 minutes in. I'm like, I just need to pause this for like 15 minutes. I need a breather because I'm still not, I'm not recovered. (laughs) So that was probably part of it. In my defense, it was just really funny, and I had to I had to tell the world because yes. it made me laugh. <laughs> so, th- her being lost in like the safety of like romance novels works so well for like the theming of what they're doing, mm-hmm. but also just like 
God, ever, so many people out there just who've not really been through love sure think they know what love is. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 have a lot of wisdom about breakups, and they've never gone through a breakup. They have a whole lot of big feelings about like everlasting love, and they've never dated anyone. Period. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes a lot of sense for her. Yeah, that she's well. Like I read about something, but yeah, but you haven't lived it, honey. Yeah, yeah. It's an entirely different situation. I also think that it is like such a teenage thing especially if you are a reader a lot of times you kind of just let yourself get transported into these other worlds well, especially if you're a reader in school like teachers go oh you, you're so smart mm-hmm. and they act like you have all the answers because you read books mm-hmm. so then like it's that kind of fills up your head mm-hmm. like that wasn't me we've already established in this episode i don't read i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm borderline illiterate <laughs> <laughs> you are not illiterate <laughs> but if you like look at that that sort of mentality, then I think that that's just going to make her really sure of all of her her inklings. Mm-hmm. And then also she's got fears because, like, her mom isn't around anymore and that ties into, like, her insecurities. Yeah. But I think even before that, mm-hmm. she thought she had all the answers. And I also think that Largine has a bit of middle child syndrome. And again, not a psychologist, not here to psychoanalyze but fictional totally characters. But that's totally a thing. But it is totally a thing. Because she has Margot, who, for all we see with Margot, is like very much a structured person. Like her room is very minimalist and it is very white and very clean. And that is who Margot is. And it's like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to go away to, go to Scotland. Scotland. Going to and... go eat haggis, except not really because haggis is gross. <laughs> Pretty much their words, not mine. I would be down to try haggis. Ew, no thank you. I'm I've No eaten... offense, I'm not trying to like shit on people's delicacies, but no thank you. I've eaten brain, I've eaten tongue, I've eaten various organ meats. I'm willing to try it. I'm glad that that's you can have my share because okay. I don't have it. That's fine. <laughs> um so you know, she's got Margot to look up to, who also Margot takes her under her wing a lot. You can tell like she's the one who kind of pushes her to do a little bit more, to be a little more outgoing. Um, and then underneath her is Kitty, who is just a chaos little sister. She's the closest this movie has to proper comedy. Yeah, I love her. Because, like, this isn't really a rom-com. No, this is a this is just romance a movie. a romance movie. Like, yeah. there's comedy in it more than, like, say, The Notebook. Mm-hmm. But it is a romance movie that just has some amusing bits. It's not really a comedy at all. Which is something that I really respect about this movie because... In a lot of the films that we mentioned during the context section of, you know, recent teen movies, there is a feeling like all of them are kind of winking at the camera a little bit. Uh, a lot of them that's are... just a lot of trends now. Yeah. People like, don't like sincerity. No, and that's exactly it. This movie is, like, incredibly sincere with its emotions and the romance. It doesn't treat anything like, oh, it's just high school, who cares? But, but, but. Like, but, no, it does it, matter. It has to be sincere about that because... The main catalyst for, like, the plot is that she wrote these extremely heartfelt, sincere letters that were never supposed to see the light of day. Mm-hmm. And now all of her most honest feelings, at least at one point in her life, are just out there floating in the world. Yeah. You can't both sides that. Yeah. Like, you can't make that as, like, a tongue-in-cheek, like, uh-oh, it ruined her life. Because, I, like, oh, so then it doesn't really weird. matter. Yeah, and it's like, no, it matters a lot because those feelings are real and the things that she feels are very real. And this, the problems she's having are real. The insecurities she has are real. And I like that this movie never downplays it or never kind of like acts as if it's above it. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking to those letters, um, 
I love that this is a thing she does because I also think this is not super uncommon. No, I mean, a lot of therapists recommend like write angry letters and don't send them. So I think it's just a natural thing you come to. It's like a version of having a diary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it, it allows you to get a lot of these feelings out and process what they mean without having to put yourself in that very like vulnerable situation. I don't know. Did you ever write like love letters or love poems or love songs or any sort of thing like that? Um, I think I did once, maybe, but I think it was something I was already writing because I was just trying to write a, a, like a, I wrote song lyrics for songs that didn't, that I never wrote. Okay. Because I was like, oh, I'll write the lyrics and then you can write the song around them. That seems easier. No, it's way harder. (laughs) I feel like writing the melody and then having songs fit the melody is probably the way to do it. But I was like, fucking Bernie Toppin just sent Elton John lyrics and said, there you go. Now write a song around it. So it seemed easy. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't. But I think I tried that one time for a girl. But like I already had half written down like stuff that I thought were clever lines. And then I was Mm -hmm. just like, now I'm going to turn it into a thing. And then it didn't have a melody or anything like that. I just gave it to her. And I think nothing ever really came of it. She just went, oh, that's nice. And we never talked about it again. (laughs) It was somebody I was actually dating. It's just not like we ever referenced it again. And I don't know what happened to it. Gotcha. So I think that was maybe the one and only time. I'm not the kind of romantic like that, you know? Mm -hmm. What about you? I know you received a billion. Okay. So I received a lot. I received a lot of songs. Um, That was a thing. But I definitely was a person who did a lot of writing to people and then never sent it. A lot of notes that I never in a million years would have sent. I used to write them and then I would keep them all for like six months and then we would do like burn fest with our friends and we'd set everything on fire. Sure. Did a lot of that. That was Release those feelings back out into the universe. Cleanse by fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I did a lot, a lot of that. And I was thinking during this like most recent rewatch, like what would it have felt like if those letters ever did like make it out and I was like, oh, I think I would have like wanted to change schools. I would have shit. Yeah, I would have I would have <laughs> fucking shit. Like all she does is faint, which is like She faints and kisses a boy. That's not the worst thing in the world. No, I would have like <laughs> shit my pants and needed to go home for like a week and uh-huh. never showed my face again. Yeah. Um because I was extremely sincere and very poetic and because I was emo, a lot of it was like the end oh of the my God. world. Fucking cut feeling. my wrists and black my eyes. Oh, it was absolutely <laughs> that kind of bullshit. Like when when you grow up listening to bands like Taking Back Sunday and hearing lines of you could slit my throat and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your porch. You're going to have some weird fucking poetry sure. about the boys you like and yes. the girls you like and the whoever you like. Oh, God ridiculous it was Mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous um and something that i like that the movie does is that we don't ever fully get to see what those letters actually say um it's still kept very close to the chest because it's like the movie is like no no no, we're not gonna peek into that world you don't need to know how she we're not gonna embarrass her to that extent yeah i like that it's like very respectful of her feelings in a way yeah and i also love that they are these letters to people throughout her life and they're all treated with kind of the same severity but at the same time she's very aware that it's not the same severity like, you know, Lucas, the guy that she danced with at homecoming, she writes this big letter to. He's gay. And like Oh my God. And like I called it immediately. Like they're at the dance, it's like, I like your ascot. I was like, it's actually a cravat. And I'm like, oh, he's fruity. <laughs> 
<laughs> but like that's like a very true thing. Like you have these moments where this is the person that you're really into, and you know you don't know that at the time. I mean, you shared a special moment. Exactly. Eh. There is uh, an author I really like named Anita Liberty. She wrote. Um, how to heal the hurt by hating and how to stay bitter during the happiest times of your life, which are two just phenomenal uh, books of poetry that are, you know, also about her life. But she has another book called the center of the universe. Yes, that's me. Mm. And it's a book about her, like her love letters and her poetry. She wrote as a high schooler. And so you get kind of this groundwork of who she was as a kid. And one of the people that she writes about is this guy she's super in love with. And the whole book, you're like, Oh, I want them to end up together. I want them to end up together. And then you get to the end and she's like, so we never got together because he's gay, Well, then. <laughs> which is like so great. And uh, so I love that that's, you know, an element in here. Uh, one of the letters she sends gets a return to sender, which, you know, that's kind of, you know, thank God for that. Uh, we get the little button at the very, very end of the movie of the kid from, you know, I think it's Model UN or whatever showing mm-hmm. up at the door with flowers, which I think is very cute. I but... mean, there, there's only three moving parts to this movie mm-hmm. and one of them is gay. So it's really just two moving parts. Yes. Yeah, so then we have Josh and we have Peter. Uh, let's start with Josh, which is the it's Margot's ex. Margot's ex, she but broke you know, his heart. but was also complicated by the fact that he and Largine were friends first, and then he started dating Margot. Is he like the neighbor kid or something? Yes, yeah. he lives next door, um, or at least like a couple houses down or he's, whatever. He's around. Yeah, he's around. So that was, you know, one of the first, you know, friends she made and it was just, you know, friends. But once she started seeing him with Margot, she's starting to see him in a new light because she's seeing what he's like as a boyfriend mm-hmm. and that stirs up feelings for her. And he's he he's a little bit of a people pleaser. It's like, mm-hmm. well, would you rather drink water or pee? And it's like, oh, you changed your answer, sir. Mm-hmm. But I guess you're not going to admit to your new girlfriend that you would drink a little bit of pee. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I love that that little scene exists because it does two things. One, it implants this idea in the heads of the viewers of like, oh, well, he and Laura Jean would be the better couple. Like, Mm -hmm. look at them. They get along better. But at the same time, it shows who Josh is as a person of like, Josh is just saying things to impress a girl or what have you. I mean, I think a lot of people in relationships do that. Especially when you're in high school. Oh, yeah. Like, that's very much a thing. Well, you just weigh your odds. It's like, is this worth disagreeing? Does it matter? It's just like, no, it's just like, yeah, sure, I guess you're right. It's like, I don't do drugs unless you do drugs. And then I do all the drugs. Yeah, all the time. kind of. That, that's really what it is. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that's an extremely... Uh, I mean, it's an insecure thing, but it's extremely mm-hmm. common for younger people who are dating. Sure. Yeah. And so then when he gets the letter, it's shortly after Margot has broken up with him and kind of broken his heart. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of oh, messed- he didn't know. He got blindsided. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of messed up about the situation because one, this girlfriend that he's had for two years uh, dumps him kind of unceremoniously. Two, it's after he has done this giant romantic gesture of I'm going to fly out to Scotland and like he, come see you. He bought non-refundable tickets. I know. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. And so like, you know, he's obviously heartbroken. So then when that is then paired with the one-two punch of, oh, and also her sister, who is a very good friend of yours, also has feelings for you. He's very vulnerable. Like he's mm-hmm. in a he's in a tough spot. So I get why part of his impulse is to one be extremely confused, but then also at the same time be like weirdly kind of into it. Like because when you're heartbroken, the first thing that you want to do is like fix your heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You want that feeling to go away as fast as humanly possible, which is why people rebound all the time. 
And so not to say that you're he just, was going to like. You're just trying to replace somebody with something else. I yeah. mean, a lot of people do that with bad habits. Like, stop smoking. So now I, you know, go to the gym too much or right. whatever. Yeah. You're replacing one thing with a different thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I don't know. The, 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 the state of happiness you had of being in a relationship or fucking smoking cigarettes or whatever. That was a, that was a higher state of happiness. Mm-hmm. But happiness is not a constant state. It's an elevated state. Mm-hmm. But people aren't comfortable with that mm-hmm. because, oh, well, I've tasted I've, I've tasted this and now everything else tastes bland. Yeah. So I get why he's trying to, you know, f- figure this out. But at the same time, you know, she's not being very communicative because she's deflecting. She's avoiding her sister. And mm-hmm. I love the reveal at the end of like, well, why didn't you talk to me about this? And she's like, well, because I was lying to everybody, but I can't lie to you. Mm-hmm. And I like that honesty. I think it's I think it's really nice. Um, and the other person who receives a letter is Peter. And Peter is a boy that she kissed in seventh grade during Spin the Bottle. Um, and it she realizes after the fact that the reason that her and this girl Jen are not friends anymore is because of this game of spin the bottle that she thought was not a big deal, but was a huge deal. She didn't even want to. She's like, Oh, I could spin it again because she knew Jen liked Peter. Yeah. And it's like, the bottle doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can't change the bottle's results. And they kiss. It's like the tiniest little peck, whatever, but like they, but in seventh grade, but that means everything. But as soon as their lips like separate, like right in the background of the shot is Jen. She's like, Oh, yeah, she's, she's pissed. A she's pissed. Yeah. And I will say, this is, this is a small confession time here. Oh, yeah. I absolutely ended a friendship in a similar way. Were, were you the one who kissed somebody or did they kiss somebody? Oh, no, they kissed somebody. Oh, was, my God, the heartbreak. And, like, the thing is, I look back at it now and it's like, I didn't actually like that person, but it was the principle of the fact. Of yeah, like, sure. You I liked knew them at the time. that I had this crush and you did this anyway and you say it didn't mean anything, but I would have given anything to have had that and you did it, so fuck you. We're not friends anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That person ended up being uh, kind of terrible uh, later in life, so... Maybe my instincts were right. I was petty, but I was uh, right for the wrong reason. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) How about this? You can put your hand in my back pocket. Hand in your back pocket? Mm -hmm. What the hell is that? 16 candles. It's the opening image. It's a couple's thing. Yeah, maybe in the 70s. 16 candles was the 80s. John Hughes? Nothing? Mm. Okay. Two more rules. You have to watch 16 Candles with me because it's a classic. And we can never tell anyone that this relationship is fake because it would be too humiliating for the both of us. Duh, first rule of Fight Club. What? Are you serious? You've never seen Fight Club? Oh my God. Okay, write it down, double feature. After we watch the Candles movie, we are watching Fight Club. Fight Club, 16 Candles, no snitching. Anything else? I could, um, I could write your notes every day. You do that? Sure. Jen was always on me to write her them. I never did, so if I start sending them to you, she'll be pissed. You could. How romantic. So the one thing that I do think that this movie doesn't do entirely well is like the gen stuff to me feels a little half-baked um also we find out that Lara Jean's best friend Chris is Jen's cousin I love Chris I think she's hilarious she sure is underutilized though she, yeah she's totally I imagine that we get more of her probably in the sequels 
So that fe- that feels like there's more room for her once all this is out of the way, but I wouldn't know. Yeah, definitely want more of, you know, these situations because the Jen stuff, she just kind of feels like a blanket bitch. Like yeah. she's just mean for the sake of being mean. Um yeah. and even when well, we find she's, out she's she's a little bit of a prop. Because yeah. Peter Peter needs to go along with this fake dating scheme to make her jealous. Mm-hmm. So she's really there as a little bit of a tool. A little bit, a, yeah. A plot tool. Yeah. So I wish that there was a little bit more done with those interactions. But at the same time, I get it. That's not what these movies are about. These the story's movies, not about her. The movies are about Laura Jean and Peter falling in love. Like, yeah. That's, like, that's the point here. No, and I totally agree with your saying. But if I had a specific criticism of this movie that, that bothers me, it's that... And I was struggling to figure out exactly what it is. This movie feels a little too like Instagram for me, mm-hmm. where like there are some like uh, th- th- I think this is just how we make teen movies now. But in certain movies, like Do Revenge, it was stylish and stylistic enough that it wasn't noticeable. The babysitter's over the top. Um, you're so not invited to my bar mitzvah's funny enough. Mm-hmm. He's all that is like the bad version of this, mm-hmm. but everything is just nice. Mm-hmm. They live in nice houses and they wear nice clothes and they go on this nice ski trip and they have a nice school and it feels a little plastic. Mm-hmm. It feels kind of like how stuff in Hallmark movies looks nice. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's wrong for the theming that they're going for because if you're building it off of romance novels as being like the core inspiration for how she views the world it needs to be a little fantastical it needs to be a fantasy i'm just saying i don't like that flavor it super doesn't work for me but that's just but i understand why it's like that so i'm not thinking it's bad i'm saying it's not my thing I prefer high schools where the textbook bindings are all broken. A bit. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying everything's a little too perfect. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, yeah. all of the characters are a little too perfect. Yeah. No, I can I can definitely see that. That's a very, very fair criticism. Um, because you're right. <laughs> it is. It is very But like that's what you want out of a yeah. out of a romance thing. Like you want them to be you want them to feel good. Right. You want it to look like this dreamy thing where you go on a ski trip together because yeah. you have the money to do that. Yeah. Like, I get that that's the point. Yeah. that Like, there's a moment where, you know, they're talking about the ski trip and Laura Jean's like, I'm only going if Chris is going. And then she talks to Chris about it and Chris is like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going. Like, you, you she thinks she's not going to go because that's just not her thing. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, no, no, I'm going. And I think about, like, being able to just spontaneously decide that you're going to go on a ski trip in high school. Meanwhile, like, if that was a thing in my school, we would have, like, 70 different fundraisers so that we could go. I mean, skiing is just such a rich kid hobby. Yeah. Because, like, you have to have the gear, but also you have to get there. And you have to buy the mountain time. And you have yeah, to yeah, buy, yeah. like, lodging if you're going to be there for more than, like, six hours. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, like, <laughs> it's not soccer. You don't no. just need a ball in an open field. <laughs> right. You know, it's something where it's like, oh, yeah, um, we're going to Breckenridge this weekend. Like, that's, <laughs> eh. Yeah. No, no, no. I feel you. I feel you. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is I am glad that this movie justifies its wealth of its of its family because nothing makes me more like, mm, I don't know, like the Insidious movies are probably the best example of this, honestly, is it's like Patrick Wilson teaches at a high school and his wife writes jingles and then they have this like gigantic, beautiful home. And I'm like, no, that's God, not how this, this is works. like those fucking house hunter memes that people make where it's like he 
recobbles shoes in his spare time. She makes artisan potato salad. Their budget is 400000 Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no. no. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> Does HGTV just exist in a different universe <laughs> that I'm not aware of? But at least in this, it's like, okay, so John Corbett is here, who is, you know, a rom-com legend based on being in... My big fat Greek wedding. He's also I miss his mullet. He's also my second least favorite boyfriend of Carrie Bradshaw on Sex in the City. Sorry, Aiden Lovers. I just no. Yeah. Um Who's but your least favorite? Big. Oh, I fucking hate Big. I hate <laughs> But isn't him so he like much. the most important one? Isn't he in the most of it or something? Yeah, but now he's dead, so I don't care. <laughs> he's dead and he tanked Peloton's <laughs> stock with him. And now they're trying to market it to the common man. Yeah. <laughs> rather than being a luxury brand. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, now there's Aiden and he arrived on and just like that looking like he's fucking Michael Myers in the world's ugliest jacket. Anyway, in, back in to this, this thing. In he's this... kind of just there and he's a male gynecologist. Yes, and I love that Chris like bags on him for that, which is really funny to me. But it's like, no, no, I understand how they afford this giant house. He's a doctor. Like, yeah. okay, this this tracks. Yeah. I will say, um, not my favorite daddy daughter speech. No. I he... do love the inclusion of everybody wants to rule the world because it's an eternal jam. Mm-hmm. However, he kind of waffles a little bit between like, oh, you're really, really good and heartwarming and you're kind of phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Like within like a couple sentences, like each sentence, it'll shift gears. Yeah. And it's a bit odd. Yeah. It's not my favorite performance of his, but I do think that there is something nice about him. When he talks about mom, mm-hmm. that's I think when he really shines. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a genuine heart there and I I buy him as somebody who – very much loves and misses his wife. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah. Those are the good parts of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's some parts that are less good. Yeah. Some of it's like a little rough. Also, uh, he's just drinking wine a lot. Yeah. Like often. Yeah. So dad's, dad's going through some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But our our main boy focus here, though, is Peter. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Peter. He's not just a dumb asshole jock like people think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he does love Fight Club. Mm-hmm. But like having the double feature of 16 Candles in Fight Club kind of makes sense. It does. As like a weird, gross, toxic, masculine soup that is processed through femininity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like no, it really it's is. It's very odd how well that actually makes sense. <laughs> it is like a very weirdly fitting double feature. I also love when they are watching 16 Candles, and you can tell he is so nervous to ask Laura Jean if Long Duck Dung is racist. Mind you, like, she's he asks Korean. that towards like the end of the movie, which means he's sat with this character the whole uh-huh. time. <laughs> and he's like, is this a little racist? She's like, oh no, he's 100% racist. Like, offensively yes. so. But we're here for Jake Ryan, and I'm like, well, that very te- horny teen girl, sure. No, I'm here for Molly. Mm-hmm. Jake Ryan's just kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I really, really like that scene a whole lot of him, you know, adjusting and like it's it's a small acknowledgement because this movie is not going to have like these really really big conversations no. about like the fact that they're in an interracial No because this is a fantasy damn it exactly. that's too real. Exactly. It's a fantasy so that's not happening but the ways that it does show up are very small and I, I like that it's there because at least it's like an acknowledgement that this is a thing. Yeah. Which I think is smart. I think it's a very very good idea. Yeah. But, um, but Peter he's, he's he's fine. He's he's very nice. Um a joke that BJ made is like, 
For real, though, I think Peter is, like, a better fake boyfriend than most guys are real boyfriends. He and, really is. And my joke was, like, well, it's non-committal. He doesn't have to really, like, a lot of guys are afraid of commitment. Mm-hmm. And, like, they don't want to have to deal with all of this pressure. Like, they want to have a girlfriend when they want to have a girlfriend. Then they want to go hang out with the boys. Mm-hmm. You know, go 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 play Call of Duty with the lads or whatever. <laughs> and I made that as a joke. But that's kind of a plot of this. Except mm-hmm. the fear of commitment is Laura Jean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's exactly it. And it the thing about Peter, too, is that it takes a lot for me to be on board with a high school boy um, because I, by and large, tend to think that they're a b- bunch of boneheads. Yeah. Um, but I weirdly like Peter, and I also understand why he is the way he is, and the movie does a very good job at explaining that because even when he's still kind of hung up on Jen, you know, he's – not afraid to admit that his feelings are complicated and he knows that they're complicated, but he's like, I was with her for a long time and it's difficult. And I, I, I'm trying to figure this out and he's open about trying to figure this out versus I think so many boys in high school where they're like, well, I mean, you know, she's just, it's fine. It's nothing. And like, Mm -hmm. they act like it's not a big deal and they just deflect, deflect, deflect. Whereas he actually owns up and is like, I'm a fucking mess, dude. Like, what do you want from me? And I weirdly appreciate that. Like, yeah, we can argue and say he should have just like dropped her like a bad habit immediately and never talked to her again. But that's also not how high school functions because you are forced to share space with these people whether you want to or not. You still get stuck in homeroom and AP bio with them. You still get stuck on a- For at least the next like nine weeks, if not the full year. Yeah, you still get stuck on a bus with them because when you're like, hey, Laura Jean, you want to sit with me? And you're like, no, I'm going to go sit with my friend. And then there's this open seat and it's like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Now you've just trapped me with her. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I like him a bit more and I like that this movie plays with the idea that both of them are like fucking up in different ways, like equal but different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that as far as like a kind of generic hunky pretty boy is concerned, like it has the benefit of 40 years Mm -hmm. since uh, more, more than 40 years since 16 candles Mm -hmm. to, uh, to get your shit together or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to figure out, like, really how to make a, a boy like this be a character or make him appealing other than he's handsome. Right. Because, like, Jake Ryan's such a piece of shit. Yeah, he like, sucks. what a fucking piece of work. <laughs> just selling his girlfriend or his drunk girlfriend off to say, I'm still not over this. We did that, like, two and a half, three years ago. I'm still not over that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, it is, um, it is very interesting how much better – Peter is and how much he's genuinely trying and how much he's genuinely falling for her. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just not having it because, again, she's she plays it safe. She's got rules. She's closed off from feeling things. Mm-hmm. Like she's volun- – she, she has closed herself off, I guess, is probably more specific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Peter Peter's pretty all right. Yeah, I like Peter. Yeah. And so then we do have this big ski trip scene where the two of them finally admit, like, how they're feeling, how they want to be with each other. And two very huge things happen that I am, like, shocked that the... Hot tub scandal. Yeah, that the movie actually goes there is, one, the hot tub scandal, uh, which is nothing actually happens in the hot tub, but it's, you know, somebody shoots footage of them. Out of context. Exactly. When she's just, like, kind of, you know, in his lap so they can make out. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like, mm, it's... Is he sticking things places? Mm-hmm. This, this could be sex. Mm-hmm. 
And so that video ends up going viral for, you know, all the wrong reasons. And everybody in school is treating it like, oh, my God, Laura Jean, look at this hoe. She made a sex tape. She made a sex tape. And why I am both shocked and appreciative that this scene is in here is that they call it a sex tape and they ultimately get it removed from Instagram by classifying it as child pornography. Obviously, the the more correct term for this is, you know, child sexual abuse material, mm-hmm. but it's we're using it's not a crime movie. Yeah. Um, so they they call it for what it is. And I am I was I was really like, wow, this movie just went there. Yeah. Like and it's it's shocking because it's like, wow, that's like a, a huge swing to take. Well it's 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 too real for what this movie is going right. for up to this point. Um I think this is just reality seeping in a little a little too much because like something that is interesting about kids who feel very adult when you're like 16 years old is like you don't see this as like underage sexual material right because you're that age and you don't think of yourself as underage unless you have a reason to but if you're just going through life and doing things with other people who are age appropriate then it's like oh this is just this is just things this is my life this is whatever but that's like the reality of it like a girl who's like 16, if she were to post something on Instagram that is a little too much, a little too thirsty of a thirst trap, mm-hmm. then it can get out of your neighborhood and get released somewhere. Well, and that's why I'm so impressed with this movie actually including that moment because you're absolutely right. This is becoming more and more common for well, the, people are posting pictures of themselves. Yes, and more. it's and it's for that exact reason. I think I've talked about this on the show before. I might not have, but when I was teaching. We had a situation where a student who was 15 and another student who was also 15 had been sending each other images on Snapchat. And one of them, for whatever fucking reason, decided to print out one of those snaps at school, which is already a fucking problem. But it was exacerbated by the fact that they sent it to the wrong printer. They sent it to the wrong printer. They were in a computer lab and they sent it to like a third grade classroom. And a student picked up the image because it was coming out of the printer. And the teacher was like, hey, that might be important. Can you get that for me? And it was a nude image of another student in the building. And we had to have this very serious conversation with the, you know, everybody that was involved um, to be like, do you understand what this means legally and they they like couldn't wrap their head around it they're like well everybody does it and it's not that big of a deal and blah blah i'm like no 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 no, no. you do not understand this is what you have done legally Mm -hmm. like that is a problem which like the internet and the fact that everyone has a cell phone in their pocket has just really exacerbated a problem that's been around probably forever but like when we were teens this was a thing you could do it was just there yeah. were more steps to it yeah you had to go ahead and get the digital camera out and then you had to take your picture and then you had to plug the digital camera into the tv then you had to resize it because it was like three thousand pixels big mm-hmm. and then you had to like upload it through dial-up internet and send it off on its merry way through a photo bucket or something to somebody right like there were so many more steps to that yeah now it's just like you take a picture bada bing bang you're there yeah there's there used to be so many you know how when people get really really angry and we say like stop take 10 seconds and then by the time people are done taking 10 seconds they're usually not that mad anymore yeah. and they can chill out that's Send, what this sending was sending thirst traps and, and sexting like that involved yeah. a lot more like 
lot more patience. It took a lot more patience. So like you either needed to be really committed or what happened for a majority of people is you would you get bank load them. You would take the picture, you would get it to the upload stage and then you would see it and you would be like, what am I doing? And then mm-hmm. you wouldn't send it. Like that happened all the time for people. Oh, I mean, people also just like, I know people that I was friends with who did this. Um, girls, I should specify, because the dudes I was friends with did not do this. Um, they weren't getting any and they certainly weren't sending people anything. But um, yeah, you would just get pictures and go, oh, these are the ones. These, these are like my good six that I sent. Yeah, out. and you'd use Which the same Which means you just six. have these <laughs> sitting on your computer. Yeah, I had those too. <laughs> or you're just sitting like off in a full online somewhere yeah i i had that exactly <laughs> so like that's just a thing yeah so yeah no it's so just this, this is a very controversial bad thing that's happening in this in this situation and i will say something that happens in this movie that it, it drives me nuts because it's such a cliche trope of like someone being like no i can explain going save it i don't want to hear anymore and they walk away and it's like all oh, this could have been avoided if you just talked about it and like I know. <laughs> they're teenagers they're impulsive they have a lot of emotions I understand why it's like this, but I, I, I drives me up the wall every time it's a plot point in a movie where it's like, listen, I went to Jen's room to explain that we were done mm-hmm. and you wouldn't let me explain that for like the last several weeks or whatever, <laughs> where it's like, Jesus. Um, I will say one thing that I like is like, they have this, this element where they like tape it to Laura Jean's locker and it's real fucked up. And her best friend, Chris goes like, yeah, good, good job. Like, you're not stopping them. You're not dismissing that this whatever, Peter. Like, you're being a real piece of shit. And in most movies, that's where they would walk away and he would have to do something to save it later. But in that moment, and, like, she gives him sass about it, but I'm like, no, I'm on his side. As he goes, hey, everyone, um, fuck you. We didn't have sex. Stop sharing this shit. I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm on his side. That is the – I would have done that. Absolutely. <laughs> No, I'm right there with you about it. Like the fact that he does it immediately, yes. like, instantaneously. And in mo- and after doing so many cliched things, I wasn't expecting him to. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I-, I love this. Yeah, he's gonna walk away and like think about it and do some big sweeping gesture. And it's like, mm-hmm. nope, he just yells. He's gonna have a <laughs> at a student assembly or something like that. He's gonna take the mic and explain everything to the whole class. Yeah, or mm-hmm. it would it would have been something like that in a different movie that was following some cliched beats like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that he acknowledges it right away. And I also love that this also comes at the same time that Laura Jean goes into the bathroom and she runs into Jen, who like Jen pulls the shittiest, bitchiest move in this movie, which is when she's wearing the scrunchie. Oh, yeah. Like, because uh, she's that's earlier and that's where like their big fight is. Yeah, that's is. where the big fight yeah. is. But it's just like, oh, God. So already she's got go home heat it's with her me. Favorite scrunchie. Um, but then they go into, you know, the bathroom. And I love that Laura Jean calls her out by saying, like, it's bad enough when guys do this, but for you to do this, like, what mm-hmm. the hell? That's just mean girl behavior. Yeah, and I love that she calls it out because she's so right. Like, it's shitty enough when guys do it, but when other women do it who also know what this feels like and who also have to deal with all of this, like, patriarchal bullshit to do it, it's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, mm-hmm. stop doing that shit. Yeah. So it is really nice. And the fact that Jen's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And it's like, you're such a bad liar. <laughs> like, but it's like, if, like, it has to be her just even from us watching this. Like, assume you want to give her the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, maybe she didn't do it. Then who did? Either way, she's they not stopping it. They don't introduce anything else. It's absolutely her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, oh, God, so ridiculous. Uh, but this entire situation is, like, such an aha moment for Laura Jean where she realizes, like, I thought that I was invisible and that my problems weren't affecting other people. But now I'm realizing that's not true. And I think that that's also a really good message for teenagers to have is because – 
when you're a teenager, a lot of times you can feel invisible and you can feel like, I don't know, that you don't matter or that the things you do or say don't have actual impacts on other people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot like the Romy and Michelle thing of, you know, Janine Garofalo's character being like, they made my life miserable and I was so fixated on that that I didn't realize I was making Toby's life miserable by telling mm-hmm. her to fuck off all the time. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what we're getting in this situation where well, she's like... If you're used to being, like, the victim or being ignored, then you don't mm-hmm. think about anybody who's maybe more or even in a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really like that realization that's happening. And so then she does make amends with Josh and they have the talk where she's like... Yeah, here's how I was feeling. It was, you know, at that time. Oh, oh honey, you're paving over a real serious moment because it's just dramatic moment after dramatic moment because she doesn't make amends with Josh. Margot comes home, surprises them, and then they have a spat in the front yard with Josh trying to be a tough guy up against Peter being like, the lady asked you to leave, buddy. Well, yeah, and that <laughs> and happens. And then, then it's like, you wrote me a love letter. Margot's like, you wrote my ex-boyfriend a love letter? It's like, ah. Oh. Yeah, you're right, you're right. That does happen. That is, a, that is before they make amends. Yeah, that happens even before the 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 before they have to go to Instagram and be like, "Yo, this is super illegal. Take it down." Yeah, yeah, I've been jumping around timeline wise, but yeah, there's like that big explosion in the front, and I do like that Margot pretty much immediately is like hearing her sister out and getting it. I like that because they're good sisters and that's what they do. Um, and I love that they have this beautiful moment of sharing, and then Kitty's like, "I also have a confession. I'm the one who mailed the letters." And Laura Jean's response is, "I'm gonna kill you." I mean, it's all her fault. Uh. So good. Kitty's um, a very good uh, little sister character. I love, I really do love Kitty as a character. I love when they have their little, at the start of the movie, when they're having their Golden Girls marathon, and she's like, this is fun and all, but like, I'm 11, and I canceled plans to hang out with you, 16-year-old sister. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking funny. I think it's super great. Oh, yeah. I also love that Kitty has such, like, a love of her sisters having boyfriends because she's like, Oh, are you going to invite Josh over since you're in town? Or like, I miss Peter. I missed having him over for dinner. It's like, you just like having boys around the house. She does. She likes the pressure of not having to date boys because she's 11, but she likes having hunky boys around. She's like, yeah, I'll share my yogurt drink with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I also, okay, so speaking of the yogurt drink, I looked this up. Apparently, after this movie came out, there were spikes of that yogurt drink specifically, like sales. People people needing to go like, is it actually that good? Yeah, people like... (laughs) Like it's the so sales spike. Small. It's apparently very good. I mean, I've I'm never sure tried it, is. it. It's just like this tiny little thing. It's like a shot glass of yogurt drink. Yeah, I've never had it, but apparently it's great. I don't know. I would try it. <laughs> um, speaking of other little things, um, weirdly making another appearance on this show, um, we're microdosing King Bach. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's here for like a scene. Yeah, he has like one scene with dialogue, and then he's kind of a background character. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I know we talked about this when we had Zero on for the babysitter, and I'm like, I think I like King Bach. But maybe I'm only getting the best versions of him on, like, micro, and I'm just getting these little bits and pieces of him. <laughs> I'm still okay with King Bach. I don't think he's annoying, but I'm also not getting enough of him. Yeah, you're not getting bombarded by him to be annoyed. Exactly. Like, I wasn't on the internet in the spaces when he was really doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know. Sorry, I he, was on Vine, so. I wasn't. But I'm like, look <laughs> at him go. He's here. <laughs> I need you to know that I like you, Peter Kavinsky. And not in a fake way. And so I, I guess that's all I came here to say. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't I get to say something? The reason that I went to Jen's room that night 
is to tell her that it's over. Because... Because I'm in love with you, Arch. Only you. You what? Wait. How do we do this? What do you mean? Well, what do you put into a contract for a real relationship? Nothing. <laughs> you gotta trust. You gonna break my heart, Covey? fantasized about falling in love in a field, but I just never thought it'd be the kind where you played lacrosse. Yeah, so ba- back to being on track and on the correct timeline, we have our, our big climax, and uh, she's got she's to figure out how she feels and admit how she feels about Peter. Mm-hmm. And I love that this version of a climax is a climax for Laura Jean. It's not a climax in the movie sense of the word of this big thing. It's something that's big for her, which includes actually driving because she is terrified at at, at driving. Um, She parks like shit, but that's because she's not good at driving. That's just because it looks... BJ goes, she made an attempt. I'm like, she did not. She's in like five (laughs) parking spaces sideways. But it's like, no, it's just framed up so it looks good for the camera. Yeah. That that is why she parks so bad. Yeah. And then she tells him how she feels on a lacrosse field. And so then it it does end up being this like nice bookend to like the fantasy romance novel of... Kissing a boy in a field. Kissing a boy in a field, but it happens to be a lacrosse field. And so there's not a lot of people around. So it's still like a very intimate affair, which is what she is very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it's a big gesture because this is not who she is. Like she is not this person. Agreed. But like their fake romance was all just big gestures. It was all for show. It wasn't for them. Yes. Which is probably one reason amongst, you know, the fact that it's fucking fake that or was fake before it became real that it just it didn't feel right to her it wasn't her speed mm-hmm. so I, I, i'm the same way i am not a big grand romantic gesture kind of person i do things with you for you and that's about it mm-hmm. yeah. and so i think we've like joked about this on the podcast before but when harmony and i first met and we were talking on tinder we, you know, you, you have the similar conversations that you usually do of like, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm not looking for. I, I had a bunch of garbage ass relationships dating bad people who suck. So I'm just like, I'm not looking to date. I want something kind of casual because I had never gotten to do casual. At best, I was always pursued as a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, we we do joke a lot about like this was supposed to be casual. We were like, yeah, well, maybe just make out and play Mario Kart. And no, I ended up sitting whoops. on the floor and we bonded for like 45 minutes talking about one person that we hated together. And that, there's, there's nothing that is a more strong powerful. feeling. <laughs> like no, nothing will bond you with a person quicker and stronger <laughs> than talking about a person you equally hate together. Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had a really, really lovely first date. But our our first conversation, one of the things that Harmony said to me was, and, you know, just so you know, I'm aromantic. And I was like, okay. That was just me saying I didn't want romance. Right. And I was like, And I'm like, I'm okay. still kind of not really the romantic type, so I'm not totally off on that. You're not. Like, you're definitely not the most romantic person. That's not really your thing. You, Your love languages are very specific to you and it's something that i love i I don't know what that means but thank you (laughs) (laughs) they're specific to you well well, meaning okay so here's here's how i'll describe it so some people their love language of like gift giving or something it's like okay well it is 
I don't know, like any holiday Valentine's Day is happening. So like Valentine's Day. So what they're going to do is they're going to buy the most beautiful jewelry they can find with like a a diamond that's shaped like a heart. And like for some people, that is probably so thoughtful and wonderful and loving. And I commend them. That's not how you are. You are, oh, it's this thing coming up. So uh, for our anniversary, I got you a original pressing of the original cast of company like and it still smells like the 70s -hmm. like you'll get me that or like when you got me a bat box like so that i could you know still under the bed it is because we can't have them in california because they'll cook (laughs) no i mean we just have nowhere really to secure it you just can't have it faced uh, the east or the west side it has to face north or south right and our home faces East West. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a brick building. I don't really know what to do with it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, things like that, which are like so incredibly thoughtful and kind. Um, but every once in a while you do do something a little romantic. Yes. I've been waiting for this. So. This 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 did tie into <laughs> making a really specific list. For context, at the time, I think we were like three or four months into us dating. I think this was for your first birthday would be my guess. Mm-hmm. It might have been Valentine's Day. I don't remember. No, it was my birthday. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. At the time, and still, Chris Jericho, the professional wrestler, was on the best run of his career. And his last good run. He's just now a sad old man who <laughs> sucks and I hate him and his horrible libertarian views. And we don't know where his wife was on January 6th. Yep. I so. just, get him off my TV. I'm sick of him. Yeah. I'm never excited to see him or his fans <laughs> off-key sing his theme song. I hate him. Jonas said. These people... Oh, God, I just, I'm so sick of this old man. I know. And his hair plugs. I know, I know. Sad, deflated pecs. (laughs) Just get him out of here. But um, at the time, he was doing uh, the list of Jericho, and I was like, and he was BJ's favorite wrestler of all time. He was. Before we got sick of him, Mm -hmm. because he wouldn't go away and he kept saying things. (laughs) But um, yes, I made a list of BJ. Yes. So to, to pay homage to the list of Jericho, Harmony made the list of BJ. This is the closest thing. That I have ever gotten to a love letter from this, Harmony. This is the closest thing she's gotten to classic romance. And she said, what if I read it on the air? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't remember what's on this. Uh, it's been some years. Um, if I don't like it, I'll just delete this part. <laughs> so I'm going to read uh, Harmony's love letter to me of all the things that she loves about me. And this is, uh, what, five years old now? Six years old now? 2018? About six years? Six years? Okay. Yeah. So th- this is still comfortably in the, the, the sweet nothings of the honeymoon period of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I'm sure that this is going to be something. <laughs> my smile. Yeah. My brain. Well, yeah, you're smart. My even, smell. Even with brain damage, you're smarter than most people. Thank you. You're welcome. My smell. Yeah. My laugh. Yeah. My drive. Yes. How I check myself. Yep. How I sigh when you touch me. Yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> Look, I barely have to touch her. She just goes, hmm. <laughs> How I let you touch me. Yeah. That isn't sexual, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it can be, but it, it's not specifically sexual. How excited I get when I talk about my passions. Yes. How nothing about me intimidates you. My problems, hang-ups, living with me, spending the rest of your life with me. Yeah. Uh, the things that we have in common. Yes. The things that we don't. Yeah. That I let you love me. Mm-hmm. That I love you back. Mm-hmm. And that I am a sassy, cranky, boss-ass bitch. 
Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Yeah, it was very, very sweet. You're welcome. And now the whole world. I stand by all of those the things. The whole world knows that you love me so much. You indeed are sassy and cranky. Yeah. Oh <laughs> and my a God. boss ass bitch. I was so crabby earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a real crank chef lately. I'm just so tired all the time. <laughs> I know. And you know, that's one reason that I bought you company for our anniversary a couple of weeks ago because it was supposed to be a Valentine's Day gift, but then it came on our anniversary and I was like, ah, oh, well, now's as good a time as any because we watched the, uh, the documentary mm-hmm. about it and- I'm just watching BJ light up in a way that she hadn't for like weeks because she was so <laughs> upset with life. And I was like, okay, cool. So this is what I get. It was perfect. Yeah. And and it really was. And you're just sitting there just being like, with all due respect, this is not the best version of being alive. <laughs> Listen, Raul Esparza, just really like no offense to Gene Jones. He's great. But Raul Esparza, like, oh God, he's so Man, good. You, when he was singing this, do you think everyone around that room is just sitting there going like, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! But yes, we are we are very very off topic here. Um, Whatever, it's Valentine's Day. We're talking about love. <laughs> talking about love, and we will eventually watch the sequels. Um, and to we talk have a whole more. month dedicated for those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, we 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 will do that as well because I'm very excited to see how you feel about the story moving forward. It will be interesting. But on that note, to all the boys I've loved before, is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? I think that this is a very, very good, well-made romance. Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't fit my specific tastes, mm-hmm. but I'm open to the sequels. I'm going to send it on its own. Okay. Because it is just not... It not, needs to be there, but it's not your style. It's too much of one thing. That's mm-hmm. really what it boils down to is I don't really like a lot of movies that are too much of one thing where it's like, mm-hmm. it's pure horror. And I'm like, yeah, but can we have something else in there? Mm-hmm. Some other plot points? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a... Like a romance plot or some comedy, maybe a little action, like something going mm-hmm. on. You know, oh, it's it's pure action. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really a, an Expendables kind of person myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can, can we have a little bit deeper characters, please? Like a John Woo movie? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's how I kind of feel about things that are a little too much their thing. Though I will say, as far as a romance is concerned... It is a romance coming-of-age story Mm -hmm. done very, very well. Yes, I agree. Ah, Well, wonderful. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you next week. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Threads at The Sunset Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. I do not think I will be getting Threads. I just don't have it in me. <laughs> and as always, thank you to the Sonder Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. What band are you recommending this week, inspired by To All the Boys I Loved Before? That band is going to be Sherry Amore. Mm-hmm. They are a pop punk band from Baltimore or something, uh, I believe. And they are specifically creating their sound to push the pop punk genre forward. And not have it all be inherently a throwback to Warp Tour from like 2005. So by that, I mean they are incorporating new elements of pop while also pulling from like new metal, uh, classic R&B. Like there's some slight uh, groove elements that come with like what funk is or what like certain new metal bands are. But like the good kind of new metal, think like maybe more Incubus or System of a Down, Deftones, not so much like Limbiscuit Corn. Um, stuff with a little more pop drive to it. 
I think that these are all like a wonderful little collection of songs on their EP, Some Songs, <laughs> in which the last two are uh, acoustic and Orlando is especially nice. My favorite, however, is 1,000 Miles, parentheses, back home, because I was listening to it and going, this reminds me so much of something and I cannot figure it out. And then it clicked and I played it for BJ and I'm like, this shit is just closer by Neo, but a pop punk song. And it fucking really rules. is. It is though. <laughs> I was like, I think Neo, I think there's something going on with him where he's like a shitty dude for some reason. Um, he was in the news, but I don't remember what it was within the last like six months. But goddamn it, if Closer is not like one of like the best fucking songs. <laughs> that song fucking rules. So, PJ, uh, what what were your feelings on on Sherry Amore? I really liked it, and you're totally right. It does have kind of like a Warp Tour sound without it sounding like it's parodying Warp Tour, which I like a lot. It's not following very strict structures of what pop punk is. Yeah, no, it it's really really easy to listen to. It's definitely a mood booster. Big fan. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, yeah, go check out some songs as well as, like, any of the other stuff they have out right now. Uh, and, yeah, that's Sherry Amore. It felt appropriate to plug a band named that with a bunch of songs about, like, relationships. Yeah, I think I think that was quite fitting. <laughs> Alrighty, y'all. Thank you again. We will see you next week. And, as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the rest of the cars to leave. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.